Welcome to this Roundup. Since the progress, development, and the very future of human survival and security today and in the coming tomorrow depends so much on human activities and behavior, the big question we all are facing today is, if we are not able to predict next year's economy, next day's stock market, or next school shooting, how will we predict human survival and security in a technology-dominated world? When the technology-modified ecosystem in cyberspace, geospace, and space is largely shaped by human activities, how we identify and evaluate risk from cyberspace, geospace, and space will determine the outcome of not only individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, in short, referred to as NGIOA, but the outcome of humanity, the very survival, security, and sustainability of the future course of humanity. It is time to acknowledge that there are no places left in cyberspace, geospace, and space that don't fall under technology shadow and the human ecosystem across cyberspace, geospace, and space is changing in many unforeseen ways due to computer code connected computers, information communication, digitization technologies, and the internet that has connected cyberspace to geospace and space. While humanity has survived many natural and some man-made existential risks for hundreds of thousands of years, the question today is whether humanity will survive the nature of the existing and emerging risk emerging due to technology-triggered warfare in cyberspace, geospace, and space. To discuss whether there is a possibility of existential risk emerging from one such emerging warfare, electronic warfare, further, I'm honored to welcome Professor Dr. Ashok Vashishta to Risk Roundup. Professor Dr. Vashishta is Executive Director and Chair of Institution Review Board at NJCU based in USA. He's a Professor of Professional Security Studies, Chair Professor of Nanotechnology at the Gitsu Institute of Electronic Engineering and Nanotechnologies, Academy of Sciences, Moldova, and also serves as strategic advisor to many government and non-government organizations. He has authored over 250 research publications, edited, authored seven books of nanotechnology, cybersecurity, and sensing detection platforms, and has presented many, many keynote addresses and invited lectures worldwide. He also serves as a Williams Foster Fellow in the Bureau of International Security and Non-Proliferation at the U.S. Department of State, working with the Office of Weapons of Mass Destruction and Terrorism and Foreign Consequence Management Program, a Franklin Fellow at Strategic Science and Technology Advisor in the Office of Verification and Transparency Technologies, Arms Verification and Controls at the U.S. Department of State, and as the Director of several NATO Advanced Study Institutes and advanced research workshops supported by NATO Emerging Security Challenges Division. He has been awarded gold medal by the State Engineering University of Armenia for his contribution to nanotechnology, and he has earned many, many fellowships and awards for his meritorious service. Welcome, Professor Vashishta. I am so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Likewise, I'm honored to be with you and your audience and glad to share a few thoughts uh, with all of you. Wonderful, Professor Vashita. So we all live in a time of increasing uncertainty on so many fronts in cyberspace, geospace, and space, in short, referred to as CGS. So since the CGS world is undoubtedly changing in many unforeseen ways, understanding each warfare, both existing as well as emerging, has become a survival necessity. Do you think we have necessary understanding of existing and emerging warfare across cyberspace, U.S. space, and space that could impact human survival, not only today, but also in the coming tomorrow? That's a great question. <clears throat> I think we have the basic knowledge and the technology. And as our uh, dependence, <clears throat> pardon me, from analog to digital, our transformation continues to grow more and more, and also, since we looked at all the technology platform using algorithms for data processing, we continue to increase our dependence. Like you mentioned about connected pathways, uh, connected cars, connected communities. As a matter of fact, we are in the process of writing a proposal, smart and connected communities. So the more connectivity there are, the more there is a dependence on uh, electromagnetic waves. And just like you mentioned uh, but in our discussion on the dual-use technologies, 
the more dependence there is, the more we take advantage from this technology. But at the same time, there are the threats, there are challenges because of its daily use. So this is something which I think we need to address, although there is lots of potential, but nonetheless, there are lots of challenges. And I think we need to continue to understand more of it so that we can prepare ourselves going forward to protect from this um, so-called unconventional warfare. In my books, I have associated electromagnetic warfare with so-called unconventional warfare because there are no rules uh, of engagement. And that's the reason this becomes uh, so-called unconventional warfare. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you made a very important point that everything is connected. It, the computer code and uh, information communication, digitization technology and internet hasn't connected just the cyberspace to geospace and space. It has also connected individuals with ent and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia. And like you said, as the smart cities and smart initiatives mm -hmm. are emerging, smart development of you know smart communities, smart you know enterprises, everything is becoming smart. So that is you know adding to the complexity of challenges. And as the Digital global age depends on the digital infrastructure and digital connectivity. Individuals as well as entities across NGIA, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, they increasingly depend on these closely integrated high-speed electronic systems. Now, when any weapon gives our opponents or enemies the ability to use the electromagnetic spectrum and its signals, to deny us the ability to use the signals for our digital infrastructure or digital connectivity and digital initiatives, it becomes a cause of great concern. So do we understand the technology impact on human ecosystem across cyberspace, geospace and space today? You know, that's a great question. As I mentioned, as we continue to transition from analog to digital, on one hand, we benefit from its advantage, but at the same time, we make ourselves more and more dependent and vulnerable to all these threat scenarios. So it's one of those growing uh, uh, scenarios where we not only depend on it, but at the same time, try to learn what we need to look out for. And as although military, by the way, aviation, I think has done a tremendous job of digital security, as you know, they've been in business for quite some time and uh, there are not too many challenges because they have been looking at this technology from a very long period of time. And I think we need to learn from aviation. We need to learn from military as to how they have protected their digital infrastructure. And as there is more and more commercial space entering into that technology, I think it becomes more incumbent upon us to make sure that the necessary technology is there uh, and also uh, we continue to protect ourselves. But here's one more thing. Most of the time, as I mentioned, aviation consists of highly sophisticated electromagnetic spectrum and its uh, protection. And as scientists, as engineers, we always look at very highly sophisticated platforms uh, whenever it comes to protection or understanding. But our adversaries, those who are using the same technology, may not be using at that level. So there is a gap. And I think we need to look at the full spectrum of threats and start from very conventional types of scenarios to highly sophisticated scenarios. And that's something which I think we need to look into looking at very simple penetration platform. And I'll give you a couple of examples, very simple platforms to highly sophisticated platforms. By the way, the information which I'm going to give you today is mostly on the unclassified. Uh, however, there are some scenarios which I know are unclassified, but nonetheless, because our adversaries or our enemies also use the same technology which we are using, uh, we have to be very careful as to what information we put uh, on the platform because as mentioned, they are using. Just to give you one example, our critical infrastructure, uh, this is highly protected by electromagnetic uh, fields and radiations. Most of the uh, bridges and dams uh, 
they have, or as you know, most of the buildings, they have their own natural frequency. So by using a frequency device, you could actually put a bridge or a building in a oscillation mode, which can actually cause a great damage uh, to a point that the Golden Gate Bridge bridges in New York, they are protected against those devices. So this is a very simple platform which creates frequency, which is similar to that of the natural frequency of that structure, but can cause such a great damage. Uh, so as I mentioned, we have to look at entire spectrum of platform and see that we are looking at the threat scenarios which um, go from very less sophisticated to highly sophisticated platforms. So that's where the education comes in. And I think as educators, as engineers, we need to continue to work with our students so that they are aware of it, not just dependent on those technologies. Yes, absolutely. And the education and awareness is the key. And uh, like you said, that the critical infrastructure, which, uh, you know, in across nations, if you look at it, not just United States, but across nations, a lot of it, a uh, lot, lot of times, you know, it's either controlled by the government or, or public, you know, or private entities or, you know, militaries. So there is this critical infrastructure, uh, the importance of it and the role it plays in the day-to-day -day life of entire nations and its operations and functioning and governance is becoming very critical and important. And since the technology triggered possibility of existential risk seems to be on our doorsteps, it is important that we evaluate whether humanity will survive the existing and emerging electric electronic warfare risk. And as you know, that it, Electricity and magnetism are both tightly linked. And since electromagnetic field knows no boundaries, mm -hmm. what risk will any warfare that focuses on electromagnetic field bring to humanity? Are we even prepared for what is to come? As I mentioned, this is one of those growing pains. So let me present a full spectrum of what the actions include. And then we can address where we have preparedness and where we lack preparedness, what we need to do to be at par with all of these threats. Uh, some of the actions include from the electromagnetic spectrum side, a deception, which is essentially a deliberate radiation, re-radiation, alteration, suppression, absorption, denial, enhancement, or reflection of electromagnetic energy. The second aspect is intrusion, which is intentional insertion of electromagnetic energy into transmission paths in any manner you choose. Next is the jamming, which I'm sure all of us are aware, which is preventing or reducing effectiveness of the use of electromagnetic spectrum. Further probing for the purpose of learning as to what others are doing, we can put a electromagnetic radiation and see what comes out of it. So that's part of the probing. Electromagnetic pulse. All of us have heard that you apply a large pulse and you could perhaps damage uh, electrical equipment or disrupt its functions. Then there are countermeasures, in, uh, including uh, electro-optical infrared radiation and also radio frequency countermeasures. So this is the spectrum which we are looking into. So in terms of where we are, as I mentioned, as we continue to increase our dependence, uh, we have to see what those vulnerabilities are and then prepare one at a time for uh, those types of uh, challenges. As I mentioned, uh, military has done wonderful job of protection against electromagnetic warfare. So is the uh, aviation, but that's being highly sophisticated. So wherever there are gaps, uh, I think we need to individually address those gaps. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but there is no one size fits all modality which we can implement. It has to be a systematic learning of the entire spectrum and see how we can individually go into each component and protect ourselves from those types of uh, uh, Sure, no, absolutely. I understand your point. And like you said, you know, aviation has done a good job. And uh, But the challenge is that the electronics are not just limited to the aviation or the military. Now, electronics have become a day-to-day -day affair of each and every individual. You name it and everyone, you know, across nations has some electronics. Now, if these electronics are under threat, then, you know, it's a cause of great concern because we are looking at the cascading effects of 
the challenges that are emerging across nations and uh, also in a, the earth i mean if we look at it even broadly the earth has a vast natural magnetic field and uh, as long as it is stable it is not noticeable except for you know that it keeps turning the compass needles but what if something forced it move and what if electromagnetic warfare if it accelerates that that you know causes it to move now yesterday i just uh, read you know about that uh, there is uh, some discussion there are some discussions going on to put a magnetic barrier around the entire mars now if we are going towards these kind of initiatives then we do need to understand what kind of challenges will be coming our way if we are going to use the electromagnetic spectrum in a such a you know large scale you know and what kind of risks that are going to emerge because of that so what what do you think these are the right initiatives to take on to create you know entire um you know magnetic field around the mars or you know as we go towards uh, uh, more exploration of space uh, what kind of initiatives we should you know be doing and what kind of initiatives we should not be doing or not be starting because we don't have enough understanding of all these things absolutely right that <clears throat> as i mentioned that we need to look into spectrum of all the challenges let me give you a couple more challenges you know if we have our hands wrapped around the challenge then maybe we could start looking at those uh, uh, threats uh, variable electronics all of us have some form or the other uh, part of the project which i had for a long time is with natick soldier center and we are developing platforms which are built into their uniform it provides situational awareness to commanders as to if soldiers are tired uh, or if uh, they had any injury and those types of thing so having variable electronics provides a great opportunity uh, that we know that we have complete situational awareness but at the same time by jamming those sensors you could completely isolate a soldier in the field and there's no connectivity likewise we have uh, fitbit for example and there are other variable electronic devices so they provide lots of opportunity but at the same time lots of challenges let me give you one more example nanotechnology as we continue to use nanomaterials into our uh, things which we use around us every day uh, clothing they have nanomaterials uh, variable electronics they have nanomaterials that's also a great cause of concern because these nanomaterials being at that size can be controlled using electromagnetic field one of the project which we had and this we had some uh, how should i put it uh, clearance from the government to talk about it this is called optical cloaking and what that simply means is that soldiers can wear a uniform by shining a different spectrum of light i can simply make a soldier disappear meaning thereby it's not visible to a uh, to to eye that's a great project but at the same time you're still putting soldiers in the harm's way because somebody could put a different radiation and make them visible so as i mentioned that these are some of the uh, challenges let me give you a few more aspects of the uh, of the uh, electromagnetic warfare we talked about critical uh, infrastructure grid uh, that obviously poses great challenge water security uh, nato had funded a project for me on international clean water institute for a very long period of time the primary purpose is not decontamination the primary purpose is security of water through the electric grid because people uh, using electric grid using electric electromagnetic uh, radiation can change the composition of chemicals which are used to clean water and those types of threats i see it every day so that was the primary purpose banking financial those are all dependent on this electromagnetic Uh, uh warfare transportation aviation uh in transportation taking over control of the vehicles uh someone can take over 
control of your vehicle, which is called e-hijacking. You may not have control of the vehicle because someone else is doing so. Disabling, disabling, altering uh, signal sequence. This is something which I had looked into personally. Simply changing the signal sequence at the red light remotely, you can cause in one minute 6,000 deaths across the United States. And that's something which, as mentioned, we had looked as a challenge. That's all part of electromagnetic warfare, jamming communication signal. So this is all aspect of critical infrastructure. And I'm sure there is more. Cyber, cyber defense, operational risks, technical risks, policy risks, uh, uh, obviously operational security risks, such as denial of service attack, network penetration, uh, introduction of malware, denying or disruption of services, these are some health industry. Simply changing the uh, signature, you can change lots of prescriptions. And I'm sure you know Dick Cheney's heart is still controlled very heavily because of the fact people have tried to alter uh, his heartbeat. So if the electronic, uh, electromagnetic warfare can come to this level, as I mentioned, the spectrum is so much that we have not even envisaged the total uh, spectrum of challenges which we are facing. So I, I take your example that we need to put belt around us, uh, but at the same time, looking at this vast spectrum of challenge, I think education from the very fundamental scale, I think that's something which we need to look into. Uh, Sometimes when I look at all of these, it, it wakes me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> You are absolutely right. These, they, these are, you know, such complex risks emerging that it would keep anybody, you know, up at night. And it's a cause of great concern that, you know, there is so much that we don't know yet. And we have started exploring all these uh, electromagnetic spectrum mm -hmm. uh, as a, you know, war weapon. That is a cause of great concern because uh, while naturally occurring geomagnetic storms, has already, I mean, caused by the solar wind interacting with the Earth's magnetic fields. It has already, you know, been documented that it brings us existential risk. And now, if we are trying to deliberately produce electromagnetic pulses by nu using nuclear weapons or e-weapons, devices that have been developed to disrupt enemy electronics also triggers possibility of existential risk because there is some, there are some aspects that we know, but there are a lot of things that we don't know how it's going to impact and it seems that many nations have already started developing these e-weapons do you know what kind what is the nature of the electronic weapons that is already in uh, production or what the enemies are strategizing as to you know how they can uh, damage other you know countries or how they can uh, uh, destroy their economies or what what are they you know trying to achieve what is the strategy for the as far as the nation states go as far as the nation states are concerned, uh, as I mentioned, it's a full spectrum warfare changing from all the aspects which I mentioned. And for each uh, spectrum, there is a different technology, uh, how you could jam a certain signal, how you could deny uh, emails or deny uh, electronic access to people, how you could change the financial aspect. Uh, I've been to Romania several times because of my uh, engagement with that country. Uh, most of the cards have a uh, electromagnetic field, uh, you know, just like we use at the Starbucks that you uh, put your card and of course there is a transaction. There are hackers in the streets. They will take that information. And once you go back to your home, you see that there are lots of charges on your credit card. So as mentioned that, the uh, countries are looking into that, going from protecting the critical infrastructure to banking financials to, uh, uh, this is all on the civilian side. And again, uh, small, uh, but nonetheless, from the military standpoint, uh, they are also looking into how enemy can uh, jam their signal. Israel is a classical example. I've been to Israel several times uh, from the Golan Heights. If you've been to Golan Heights, the amount of 
uh, electromagnetic spectrum uh, uh, surveillance around other uh, areas uh, which goes on over there is absolutely amazing. So I think it depends on the value as to what's the value, what is the need, uh, how we are going to uh, protect the civilian. So it's all sort of dependent. It's a value-added proposition that you look at what's invested in there and what we are trying to protect. So it's all proportional to that. Yes, absolutely. You are right about that. It's uh, we have to look at the value because if we see, you know, in eighteen, I think in the eighteenth century, eighteen fifty nine or something, a solar storm caused, uh, you know, auroras down to the Caribbean, making the whole entire telegraphic system across the world fail. This has been documented. Now, uh, all the telegraph towers, forests, and operators got electrical shocks. Now, in those days, in that century, telegraph was a very simple sturdy system compared to today's you know electronics that we see in cyberspace geospace and space so i mean if these electro e weapons are used and if the you know jamming technology is used and all other you know emerging uh, existing emerging weapons are if let's say you know hypothetically elimination uses that on let's say you know united states or you know any other uh, country then uh, what kind of impact do you see that use of that electromagnetic weapons, e-weapons, making to the uh, infrastructure that we have currently in cyberspace, geospace, and space, if you talk about our country or any other country, what kind of impact do you see based on the nature of the weapons that we have today or the nations, uh, other nations, uh, entire uh, you know, world has today, what kind of impact do you see that uh, making to the electronic infrastructure? You mean the impact of uh, uh, different states there? Uh, 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 if you could rephrase the question, maybe I can uh, <clears throat> answer it. Based on the nature of the weapons that we have, we are not looking only at the military, like, you know, how it will impact the soldiers on the field or how will it impact the uh, aviation industry or the you know or how will it impact the critical infrastructure that is controlled by the government uh, public entities uh, but what if i mean uh, what impact do you see making that electronic use of electronic weapons doing on the infrastructure the digital infrastructure that is controlled by the private entities across nations in uh, and pr private entities you know now also have uh, space initiatives we saw you know elon musk uh, doing that uh, launch and we also see the democratization of space where many many nano satellites are uh, thousands and thousands of nano satellites are being launched in space and there is there are many other initiatives going on in uh, geospace in cyberspace and space so what is the nature of impact do you foresee if there is a large-scale electronic warfare happening today or tomorrow? As I mentioned, if we uh, separate all these areas in terms of their military, commercial, personal, then I think we could then begin to address one uh, area at a time. Uh, okay, are we able to, uh, sorry to interrupt, are we able to uh, separate them? Because everything is, the boundaries are blurring. Security is no longer a military affair. Security has become an NGO affair. Everybody, you know, needs to play a role in securing their, uh, you know, cyberspace in on their electronics, on their initiatives. Uh, in the cyberspace, everything is connected because of the computer code and connected computers. So we separating all these is becoming very difficult now. When I said separating the space, I meant simply separating the frequency spectrum. Mm -hmm. All these regions, they use different bands. Uh, it still does not prevent an adversary to enter into your spectrum. Uh, it's simply protecting that band, uh, cyber, it uses a different band as compared to uh, aviation using a different band. Military uses a band which is not open to the public yet. And there is a push to go into G5 that is simply opening some of the military uh, electromagnetic spectrum, which is not used, but nonetheless can be used for cyber. So simply looking at that band, one can then begin to classify that this is the band I'm going to be protecting. And that's what I simply meant by looking into different commercial, uh, 
military and the uh, personal uh, space so that then we can start addressing. As far as the, let me start with the military because I'm a little bit more familiar with the military rather than commercial. Uh, since long, I had advised government that the DHS, Homeland Security, uh, Intelligence Agency, Department of Defense, National Security Administration, and Department of Transportation, in conjunction with uh, signal intelligence, communication intelligence, and electronic intelligence, they should force, they should develop a task force. And that task force would be to protect our, uh, from the defense and security standpoint. So that being the one spectrum. Then we can form a similar task force, which would look at the commercial side of the spectrum. And that would be uh, banking, uh, financial, uh, perhaps uh, the cyber uh, space, uh, types of technology, and then we can have a similar task force for the uh, personal side of it. I think if we begin to categorize that, if we look into small, small quanta, we may have a better uh, handle on the situation as compared to looking at the, uh, at the entire spectrum. Unfortunately, uh, here's the thing that our dependence on all of this cyberspace of the, the, the connected cities and communication devices, it's growing exponentially. And the technology or the laws which are there to uh, take care of all of that are not growing at the same space. And that's the reason we are at this dilemma that we do not have laws in place, we do not have regulations in place, while at the same time, our exponential uh, dependence on this technology continues to grow. Uh, I think I really admire the fact that you have picked this topic at a time that we need to spend more resources, we need to bring more educational awareness uh, into this topic because of its exponential increase and not having enough uh, manpower per se uh, to, to, to address all the challenges. So you know, the, the topic is very timely, by the way. Yes, you know, you're right, absolutely. But you know, you made a very interesting point that we should look at the bands individually and address that from those perspectives, you know, the one that impact the military, the the band that impacts the uh, private industry, the you know uh, public uh, infrastructure, private infrastructure. So if, if we are able to address it, uh, from that perspective, and if we are able to identify, evaluate how to, uh, what kind of risk will emerge from what kind of band and from that particular electromagnetic spectrum band, and how we can prevent uh, and how we can make that particular band or the infrastructure that it controls more resilient to that band, what what efforts we need to do. So that, that makes it very important. And I think that is the timely discussion we need to have that how can we make our nation's infrastructure, irrespective of whether it's uh, public uh, for military or uh, whether it's uh, controlled by the public entities or if it's controlled by private entities, how can we make our nation's infrastructure in cyberspace, geospace and space resilient to this electro war, electronic uh, warfare uh, attack so is the do you know what kind of preparedness we have uh, high and how resilient our uh, infrastructure is to this uh, ew potential ew attacks i think the um a a uh, place to start would be better encryption and that obviously i think which we need on all sides. And that's essentially what aviation does. It's all their uh, communication is protected by highly sophisticated encryption software. And even for our computers and devices, um, the better prepared or the better software we have, it's simply an encryption algorithm which protects our computer. So teaching uh, a sophisticated encryption uh, and not something stationary, something which is movable, uh, which is adaptable, uh, those types of encryption platform, I think we need to teach more and more at the uh, university level. That is something which I think we need to do. Uh, we need to bring more students in STEM education as much as I admire the fact that there are other areas. 
I see across the nation uh, the uh, STEM uh, population decreasing to a point, and I'm sure you know that from the Department of Education, from the uh, National Science Foundation, there is more and more push to bring uh, STEM uh, education. And these are the folks, those who would learn the basics of physics, uh, the, the basics of electromagnetic radiation, uh, the basics of computer principles, encryption. And I think that's the platform which we need to focus from policy standpoint. Uh, I think we need to work not only with the governments when they prepare their POMS, which is the program objective memorandum, but also work with the funding agencies to infuse more and more funds into STEM education for better encryption, better understanding, bringing more students into uh, electrical, electrical engineering and so forth. I think that is something which we as uh, policymakers, as educators, as scientists, I think which we need to take care of. Yes, you are absolutely right. That is the fundamental need for our nation and all the nations. Each nation needs to address uh, these basic uh, necessities of education awareness and having having their young people, the students, you know, get more interested into the basic sciences. That is uh, very, very essential. But now if we go back to discuss about how this electronic warfare can happen how do the attackers enemy you know any attacker whether it's a uh, someone you know terrorist uh, doing a attack uh, on a nation or uh, whether it's a nation state but how do these attack attackers transmit the signals that destroy electronics is it uh, do they use the wi-fi connection or is it like a hardwired connection that they use it can range from a single standalone device which emits certain uh, frequencies, which could be jamming frequencies, which could be penetration frequencies. Uh, as we continue to have more dependence, just to give example, we are in the process of building a platform uh, which has, in addition to LiDAR, which is the laser-based device, it has hyperspectral imaging devices. So this simply emits radiation. The purpose which we are using is for detecting contaminants in water. I mentioned to you about water security. So you send a signal and you receive signal back to read something. These are the same devices which can send signal to jam something or steal information from the uh, other source. So these types of devices are there. They are standalone devices uh, in terms of the cyber. Uh, uh, again, is the software which you can uh, perhaps send into someone else's computer, it stays resident and then takes the information which it wants and then you can bring it back like cookies in our computer. That's essentially what they do to steal information from other computers. So these are all different platforms ranging from hardware to software platforms to uh, penetrating signals uh, and, and so forth. So these are all wide range of devices. As I mentioned to you about the uh, about the bridges, these are simply uh, devices which create certain frequency, and those frequencies correspond to the uh, resonance frequency of that structure, uh, creating uh, that bridge to collapse or something of that nature. So it 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 varies. But then again, people those who are making those devices, people those who are making the software. Uh, these are all knowledgeable people, those who have education. So I think the better education we have, the better decision support tools we have, I think we could perhaps trump the other person because of the fact our adversaries have the same knowledge as we do. So it is a better education platform which will defeat, but to answer your question, it depends going from software to hardware platforms. No, that, that's uh, that's very true. Now, if we look at all these, you know, different challenges that are emerging and coming our way, mm -hmm. what can we individually and collectively do to protect our electronic infrastructure? If I'm an entity, if uh, there are, you know, other entities across, uh, you know, irrespective of whether, you know, which industry you're working for government or any NGOs or academia or even individuals, what can they do to protect their electronic infrastructure? Are there any simple rules of electronic hygiene that they can follow? 
that's a good uh, term which you have used uh, uh, hygiene i think uh, as i mentioned it's based on need it's based on resources it's based on cause uh, just to give a few examples uh, us germany france italy they have fairly resilient systems uh, israel i mentioned that's because of the fact the geographical location they are in and that's their basic existence. If they do not have that uh, security system, they don't exist. Uh, Estonia uh, has by far the most resilient system because of the fact the first cyber attack took place in Estonia and that's where all the laws about cybersecurity are taking place. So as I mentioned, it's all based on the need, resources and costs. what we can do to protect is again, as I mentioned, uh, you know, simply looking at uh, how we can make the systems re- resilient. What are the spectrum of the threats which are there, and how we can, from very uh, fundamental aspect, begin to protect ourselves. Uh, I mean, that's that's again a hand waving argument. Uh, but then again, I think better resources, better education, investing more GDP into education platform, uh, I, I think we can make more resilient systems based on uh, our own need. Uh, yes, very, very true. Now, you know, another point that uh, is a cause of great concern is that understanding of what this electromagnetic radiation can do to the human health, not only human health, but also animals and uh, any other biological species. So is there any good understanding about uh, what kind of impact on human health is happening because of this uh, electromagnetic radiation that is increasing so rapidly? It's just explosive, you know, uh, increasing the amount and nature of the radiation that we are getting from uh, all these different electromagnetic bands. Uh, what we what is at stake here as far as the human health goes? That's excellent question. I, I also sit on the biosafety committee. <laughs> and this is something which we are looking into. We have lots of apparatus, one being the nuclear magnetic resonance. And uh, being a champion of biosafety, I have to see where are the magnetic lines. Uh, if I'm going to allow a person especially female students or female workers, those who may be pregnant, close to that. If there is radiation, if I'm going to allow people, those who will, uh, as to how far they away, they should be away from a specific apparatus. Uh, so uh, people, those who have high hemoglobin uh, uh, cons- components so that the blood cells do not align. So uh, the, the overall impact of this electromagnetic field uh, in terms of human health is still a subject which we are trying to understand as to what is the extent of electromagnetic radiations which are emitted and how much we need to protect the workers, to what extent, and those laws are still being written across the uh, universities in the biosafety committee. And I think the topic which you have mentioned I had raised awareness on at least three different campuses just based on what you have mentioned that do we fully understand? As I mentioned, the dependence on all of this technology is increasing so fast that the loss to protect ourselves or how to mitigate uh, the consequences. Uh, as you know, the legal aspect, they move really, really slow. <laughs> and But the technology, which depends on technology, it's propelling exponentially. And that is the gap, which I think which we need to uh, find a way out, uh, because lots of people are still struggling with this huge gap, which is created by exponential growth of technology, and the slowness of the legal aspect to take care of all of that. But that's, that's very important uh, topic, which you have mentioned. Yes, you are right about that, that, you know, there is no parallel development happening in, uh, in between the technology world, regulation world and legal, you know, world. so that we do need to come up with a new model of how we create new laws and how rapidly we can do that and how rapidly we can come up with new policies and regulations. But that is, you know, separate topic of discussion. So now we, we have seen that effective 
war, cyber warfare, I mean, cyber warfare is already going on, you know, across nations. Now, effective cyber warfare necessitates reliable transmission of data over radio waves. Mm-hmm. And now that means that cyber warfare depends on electronic warfare. So sure. do we have an integrated approach to both cyber warfare and, ele- or, and electronic warfare? Or are we still looking at both these warfare in silos? They, they are in silos as of now. And I think we need to create cross, cross-collaboration platform. Uh, one of the institutes which I had uh, as a DOD contractor for some time created was Institute of Advanced Sciences Convergence. And the idea was exactly what you have mentioned, that the things grow in silos. How about if we create cross-communication platform? And I think that would not only speed up the uh, invention, but also that would tell us what we need to protect ourselves against. So as you mentioned, cyber and electronic warfare, they do occur in silos. Uh, but nonetheless, we can create platforms so that we understand both of them and see what occurs at the intersection of both of them to speed up the uh, protection mechanisms. That, that's very true, very true. Now, if you have a power to change anything, what would you like to change in the way we are addressing these warfares currently? And what what really concerns you, the way you know the whole warfare uh, is... Uh, addressed across nations today? <laughs> That's a good question. That, uh, uh, you know, uh, personally, when I view things, I'd look at the whole picture, uh, right from the very basic fundamental to highly sophisticated platforms. And the more uh, knowledge we have ourselves, uh, the, the more platforms we have to understand at as to what is the nature of the challenge which we are facing. So I'm trying to personally categorize challenges and opportunities, put the whole spectrum, and once I have a clear picture, then I think you can systematically go and address that. And in my humble opinion, I think that is still something which is missing because I deal with lots of uh, institutions, I deal with lots of entities outside the United States, they only address what's relevant at that point or what's pressing at that point and miss out sometimes the big picture. And so uh, if given to me, I think, as I mentioned, I would create the entire platform, look at different components, address each component, and then put manpower into all of them to make sure that we have a continuous uh, understanding of the material. Also, I mentioned that as scientists, we always look at sophisticated technological platform. And what we do not look at is the unconventional aspect of it. I also work with the chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear uh, high-yield explosive devices. And that's where most of the, and that's the reason we discussed about dual-use technology. What hurts us the most is what we do not know. And that's where our adversaries have uh, edge over us because they will have highly unsophisticated platform which we have not thought of because we are looking in terms of thing in terms of Schrodinger's equation or Hamiltonian and all those types of things while they are looking at a uh, dirty bomb, for example, you know, which we had not thought of. So I think there is a leveling of expectation as to what they are capable of doing and what we can provide. Once we have those types of understanding, then I think we could perhaps uh, better mitigate uh, these types of problems. And this is something which I advise government on, saying that we have to look at the full spectrum of these challenges and opportunities and then systematically address those uh, aspects. Yeah, very, very true. No, I agree with you on that. Now, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially the young minds, the students who are so keen to come up with new ideas, innovations, and new way of doing things that can help the respective nations prepare for the security posture in cyberspace, geospace, and space? Well, uh, young minds are our future investment, uh, as you know. And uh, if there are Uh, students in the audience, I would actually encourage them to uh, pursue careers in STEM. Uh, 
federal agencies have lots and lots of need for internship, especially in the defense, uh, in the Department of uh, Information uh, Agency, uh, and and also for DHS. So look for internship, look for STEM platform, uh, learn. Uh, and not just be the user uh, of this technology, uh, see the front end of it, how the technology is developed, uh, be the champion, uh, be uh, uh, our, our foot soldiers in the field and see if you can uh, learn the technology and be defender of our way of life going forward. And I think if rather than being a user, they are, protector of that technology, I think then we will have more boots on the ground uh, protecting our way of life going forward. So that would be my uh, advice to young viewers. Wonderful. No, thank you so much, Professor Vashishta, for that timely advice and uh, suggestion and guidance that you are providing uh, to our global viewers and listeners. I'm sure there are uh, many students uh, who are going to listen to this podcast uh, in both the audio and video format. We have huge following from e almost each and every nation. So the, we have seen a lot of young uh, people, you know, sending us emails and asking questions about what they should be doing uh, to help the nation. So I'm sure that the kind of advice and suggestions you are giving them is going to be very, very beneficial to them. So thank you so much for participating in this roundup today. And we appreciate your thoughtful insight on the potential security risk facing humanity in cyberspace, geospace, and space due to ele emerging electronic warfare and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the complex security challenges facing each nation's electronics and the infrastructure it controls across cyberspace, geospace, and space. So even if a single individual across nations can come up with an idea to prevent the potential existential risk facing humanity based on the understanding they receive from the discussion we had today. This risk round of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. You're quite welcome. Wonderful. So any existing and emerging warfare that has a potential for triggering existential risk for humanity needs to be taken seriously. The survival security and sustainability of humanity will be shaped by our understanding and awareness of the security threats emerging from cyberspace, geospace, and space, and our willingness to take action on the security risk and our ability to do so. Risk groups, cybersecurity, geosecurity, and space security risk research centers are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk-facing NGIO and CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup video webcast or hear risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.